district. Um, and uh, yeah, a time away is always quite good, I find. It kind of resets you a little bit. Um, but anyway, a friend and I have been looking at a book together recently, and uh, it talks about spending time with God. And it really has reminded me about how um, how it, he's really there. Like, the, you know, I used to think, like, talk to him like he's really there. Talk to him like he's in the room. He is in the room. <laughs> His presence just means he's here. Um, and I was reading this book, and I was like, yeah, no, I, I remember that. And, uh, yeah, I do believe that. And I've just been spending time with God, and it's just been out of this world, like... Just, he's been speaking to me so much. And I know, I talk about it um, sometimes, John laughs, so I say that God is chatty. God is chatty. He's just talking all the time. And uh, it's just putting yourself in a place to listen. And it, he's just been saying so much to me. Um, one, one thing that we've been trying is uh, seeing God in nature. And I mean, I love walking. I try as much as I can to walk David to preschool in the morning. As I just find as soon as you get out, Everything is just put into perspective. But it's talking, the book we're looking at, talking about looking at the little things and letting God speak to you through his creation. And it just, I did that in a way that I haven't really done before, where I saw a magnolia flower, and then you look at the detail of it, and then you suddenly realize there's hundreds of these things on this one tree. And then you realize that there's millions of different kinds of trees that are all this detailed and really different all over the world, and some that no one can see. You know, some that were just done for God's pleasure, for beauty and for glory. And uh, it's one of those things I don't often think like that, but I, I thought like that and I was just struck by the fact that I think God's in it all. You know, it's not that I don't think he made creation and went, and I will make that, and I will make that person over there, and I will make that flower over there. I just got the sense that it grew out of him. You know, that it came out of his love. Uh, the way that it says that the stones will cry out, the rocks will cry out. He's, he's in it all. And just kind of flipped my mind slightly from where you sometimes look at, like, how can we got, get God in? How can we bring God in? But it, it's not that. He's already there. He's already everywhere working. And it's just making him visible and just noticing him and, and uh, giving him the credit and giving him our attention. Um, and one other thing I just thought was really interesting and really gave me hope was um, I was praying about nature, but it, this book is also talking about praying about the big world problems. And I, I don't do that. Well, I do. I say, God, please help us quite a lot. But I've never really prayed much about political and world, world problems. Um, waiting to listen, which is funny because I listen. If I'm praying for someone hands-on, I listen to what God says. But I hadn't really prayed in the same way for the nations as much. And I tried it, and I've been really blown away by what God's been saying. And I don't really understand it, but I'm just trying to pray it. Um, but one day when I was looking out the window, we were staying in the Lake District, and we had this beautiful view. And I could see the sun, and it was shining on the clouds and on the water and all these different things. And I was just struck by how the sun is really dangerous, like... It would kill us. Like, it's so powerful. It's scary when you really think about the sun. And yet God uses it to make these really delicate little lights on clouds and to grow things and to give life. And he uses, you know, he's harnessed the power of the sun. 
And it really did make me think about, like, if he can do that, then he can harness anything. You know, God works all things for good, for the glory of God. And I've, while I've been uh, praying about different, different things that have just come up in the news that I really felt I should pray of, over, um, but one of the things that I really felt God said over all of it, even when I don't know what he's saying, whether he's saying something's bad or good, I was reminded of that scripture from the other week which said, did I not tell you that if you have faith, you will see the glory of God? And I just really holding on to that with everything that, you know, he has the power to harness the sun. He harnesses, he can harness it um, and use it for good and use it for growth and to bless. So I will just pray about that if that's okay. God, I just, I thank you so much for uh, you being you. And I thank you that, yeah, we just, when we really spend time with you and we really remember what you're like, then actually all the other treasure doesn't look like treasure anymore. You're just so much better than anything uh, that we've ever seen. But you're in all this thing and all these things. And we can learn about you from just looking around us. I thank you that you talk to us all in different ways. Um, but I thank you that you do talk to us. I thank you that you're doing amazing things all the time. And I pray that we would just help to make you visible and see you in everything and see you in the eyes of the people around us. I thank you that nothing is irredeemable. And I thank you, I pray that we would have faith and and that we would see the glory of God. Amen. I um, first arranged for the, us to go through John over a few months. I, I um, made the chunks rather big. <laughs> and really, I should be on John 13 this week. But um, because it's Palm Sunday, it seems right that we should do um, what, Jesus, what happened with Jesus on Palm Sunday according to John. So we're going to start at uh, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see... You are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come not for your sake, not for, for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be, lift, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. You'll notice that John's account of this is very different than the one we heard of in Mark. In Mark, it goes into much greater detail of, of um, what happened on that day when Jesus came into, into Jerusalem. The, one of the things you don't see in this account is in Mark and in the other Gospels, very soon afterwards, he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables and he, he pronounces judgment upon, upon the temple. But you don't see this in John. It's like John wants to show us something different. He obviously knows all the stories, but he wants to show us something different about this happening. Now, you know, remember, John is very much based around Jerusalem. And nearly all the incidents that lead up to this happen around Jerusalem. And if you look and you see how this story unfolds and how both Jesus' miracles come, but the conflict starts to, to come as well, you will see that it, it happens very gradually. First you see it with, with the healings he did. He kept doing healings on Sabbath. He kept healing people on Sabbath. First at Bethsaida where there was a, a man who was crippled in the pool and he healed him in the pool by the pool, and then there was a blind man that he healed, and then finally it was raising Lazarus from the dead, and that was a clincher for them. That's when they realised that Jesus was a problem for them. Those in power saw that Jesus was a problem for them. Now you see this crowd, most of these crowds didn't come from Jerusalem. Most of this crowd, it would seem, came from elsewhere. They came and they probably heard Jesus preaching in places like Galilee. Although we're told by John that a lot of those who were there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, they were there too. They had seen this great miracle and they'd gone around and spread it everywhere. And it was something that the, the Pharisees really didn't like. They said, look, it doesn't matter what we do, we can threaten to, to chuck them out of the synagogue we can make all sorts of threats against these people, but they still keep speaking about this man. And 
Now the whole world is going to him. Or the world is going to him. And it's interesting that John puts this here just as some men, some Greek men come along and ask to see Jesus. Now it would appear that these were Gentiles. These were, um, were Greeks. They, 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 come up to, they were God-fearers. They came up to celebrate the festival of Passover. But they would not have been allowed in the temple. They could have gone in the court of the Gentiles, but they wouldn't be allowed in the temple. And they found Philip. Now, Philip is a Greek name, and so is Andrew. And it tells us that Greek came from Beth, uh, that uh, Philip came from Bethsaida. And Bethsaida was a place where there were a lot of Gentiles. And it's quite possible they knew who he was, which is why they went to him. But it's strange, because Jesus doesn't seem to... He doesn't say, well, come along, bring them here and we'll have a chat. He doesn't, doesn't do that. He almost seems to avoid the question of actually them coming to see them. But then he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if you remember throughout this gospel, the, the, the phrase either, it is not my hour, or the hour had not yet come, keeps on cropping up throughout this gospel. And there were times when Jesus might have been um, uh, taken away and, uh, and um, stoned to death and he walked away because it wasn't his time. But now his time had come. Jesus saw this, these Gentiles coming, as an indication that his time had now come. And all these things that we see in the background are now leading up to something that will, will change the world forever. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus saw that he needed to lay his life down. He is the seed that is planted in the ground. And it's a strange thing about Christianity. Some people think we're just obsessed with, with death. It seems like that's what we're assessed with. But Jesus doesn't die in order to stay in the ground, but to bring new life. And if he didn't die, there would be no forgiveness of sins. If he didn't die, the life wouldn't be, be reborn, and us who believe in him wouldn't be able to be reborn. He must die, that we, there might be new life that comes, that the Spirit might later on come upon us. And he goes on to say, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that's a strange thing to say. And he still seems to be answering this question about the Greeks coming. But he does seem to be saying that us as his people, we in some way are supposed to embody the way of Christ, of laying out our lives, whether literally through martyrdom, which maybe a few people through the centuries have done, or thousands of people have done, or in terms of giving up what we want in our lives to follow him. It means laying down the things that we hold dear, that we might, be, might come to know him. We were talking earlier about um, all idols in our lives must fall. And a lot of us think of idols as little things we put, that, you, you know, little objects that people might bow down to. But we all have idols in our life. It could be our work. It could be 
some particular hobby that we have. It could be anything, but we lay these things down. But it's not to lay them down that they're dead. We don't lay our lives down that we just stay dead, but it's that we might experience the new life that he gives us. And God has made us as human beings to worship him and to serve him. And if we're to be fully human, we need to, to, to serve him and to worship him. That's where we find our true humanity, when we give ourselves away, when we stop trying to be everything, when we stop following the world that says you must know more about yourself and we lay ourselves aside, then we find our true humanity and we find ourselves in him. Then he goes on to say, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And we see in Jesus his humanity. This wasn't just God striding in and there would be as if nothing, the thing that was going to happen meant nothing. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew from the, from the moment he was aware of himself that he would one day die and for the whole, in this particular horrific way. Now, if this was a story about a martyr, we might talk about them being looking at it as if it's nothing, but Jesus felt the, felt the, 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 the apprehension about what he was going to go through. And here we see... He has already decided he is going to lay down his life. Now we find later on in the story that he's tested again on this. But he's already decided that it's the Father's will that's more important than his own. This is him laying his life down. Not forgetting about his own humanity, his own human fears. This is not some brave man who just goes forward. This is a man who felt the feelings that we have who understands how we feel when we're faced with things that terrify us. And then, of course, we have the story. We, have the, we, we hear that God's voice is heard, and we're told that he will be glorified again. <coughs> and Jesus... And he heard this voice, he says, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world, now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. We see in all the way through these dark powers all building up. It's like a storm that's just, just bubbling under the surface. And it's building up to one moment, which is coming in a few days' time. And where evil thinks it's going to destroy Jesus, in destroying him, it destroys itself. Now the power of darkness will be broken because of what Christ was about to do. And he goes to say, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And back in, in John three fourteen, it talks about, um, Jesus talks about how the uh, serpent in the wilderness was lifted up. Now, there's a story in, in, in the Bible where um, a judgment comes upon the people of Israel when they're in the, the middle of the desert and poisonous snakes come and they bite the people and God says to make a, a bronze um, serpent and to put it on a pole and to lift it up and everyone who looks at the serpent, they would be healed and, and the, the poison would have no effect upon them. 
And I'm sure that in their minds they remembered this, that Jesus was going to be lifted up, that whoever looked at him would have life, that they wouldn't die. Now these people knew what he meant when he said, if I'm lifted up. They knew that he was talking about going on a cross because they say, the Son of Man is supposed to come forever. The Messiah is supposed to come and reign and all death is gone and there will be a resurrection. Not that he would die, so they understood this. But Jesus doesn't come just to die, as we will find out later on in the story. He comes to die that he might bring life. And I was thinking, as Liz was saying, about him, Mary, bringing, going on a donkey for his birth. And I was thinking, he came in on a donkey for his rebirth. It wasn't just that he was going to die he was going to be resurrected. So it's him that we need to look to. It's him that can deal with our lives. We might die, but we will live in him. And next week we're going to have a baptism. And the reason I made a little bit of a remark about it, it's a shame we didn't do it sooner, is that because the Bible talks about believing and then being baptised. Because baptism is a symbol of us dying and then being raised again in Christ. It's a symbol that says the past is done with. All of that is gone, and now in Christ I'm raised again to a new life. And if we look to him, if we see him and see what he has done for us, we will know what new life is. He is the one who has eternal life. And he gives his life for the life of the world, that he might be raised again, that he might give life to all of those who believe, and that they might have life forevermore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks. We thank you that you became a man. We thank you that you didn't pull any tricks, Lord, but you felt the... the the anguish, Lord, that you knew that you were going to go through, the anticipation of it, you understood, Lord, and yet you set your face like a flint that you might go through that, that we might have life. And we pray, Father, that we too would lay down our lives for you, Lord, that we would live our lives for you, that we'd have no other gods but you, and that you would be glorified in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.